More than 3 billion people are now connected online, but the payment infrastructure is still stuck in the 20th century. Well, the people at Ripple hope to change that by creating the world's only enterprise system for global payments. And today, we welcome the CEO of Ripple.com, Brad Garlinghouse, to the program. It's a fascinating discussion about all things blockchain, as well as XRP, the currency which has seen a rapid rise over the past month. So let's dig in with the token that holds the number four spot in crypto market cap by getting answers directly from the top. It's episode number 67 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. This is Scott Crampton from Empire, Michigan. You are listening to the Bad Crypto Podcast. Stay bad, bitches. Wow, Mr. Joel Com, the CEO of Ripple today. Yeah, wow. he's he's going to be here on the show. We've actually already recorded it, so there's no chance of us scaring him off. But should we be on our best behavior? Yeah, I think I was I was thinking that we probably shouldn't be too smart assy in this one like we normally are. Uh, just because people th- throughout all of Ripple and the finance industry will probably be listening to this one. <laughs> but we're we're naturally smart assy. We are authentically smart assy and you know, my mom always it, used to said it's better to be a smart ass than a dumb ass. <laughs> Mama was right about that. And maybe this interview will have ripples in the cryptocurrency community. Ooh. Oh, snap. Pow. Welcome to the Bad Crypto Podcast, the show for the crypto curious and the crypto serious. I'm Joel Com. That's Travis Wright. And collectively, we are glad that you're here. Thanks for listening. Yes, this what is the first real episode of 2018, folks. Welcome to the new year. We hope all your dreams and wishes have come through and true through the holidays. And uh, it's time to get back to work, folks. Yeah. <laughs> and for us, work means talking to each other about the <laughs> beautiful, delicious cryptocurrency world. Because this, I mean, this sucks. We this have no fun. Grind. We're on the grind and the hustle today, folks. I mean, this is some hard work. Uh, we are on our way now, you know, having passed a million downloads, we're on our way to 2 million downloads and trying to uh, achieve world domination by being heard in every country of the world. We're still trying to figure out how to get into North Korea, you know, past the, the firewall they have up there that lets nothing from Western civilization in. But uh, we're, we're going to figure that out. You know, maybe we can send a little uh, crypto missile in you know that wouldn't hurt anybody it would just when it lands in the country if it gets through their defenses mm-hmm. there would just be hear, bad jokes yeah people here stay bad that's you know <laughs> they'll be looking up like what is that what was what that? is that and and they're like i don't know but it's beautiful <laughs> wondrous i have a question mr joel comp do we have yes, to sir? do we have to sing a song when we reach two thousand two million downloads um we don't have to do anything, but I think we should. Okay. So, so you know, every million downloads, we see, it's going to get to the point where we're going to be doing like a new song every month. We'll have an album. You know, we'll just, we'll just be <laughs> pumping out songs. How about you guys let us know what song we should parody? Send us your suggestions to badcryptopodcast at gmail.com or go to our website at badcryptopodcast.com and click the contact form of course uh lots of people contacting us there for a lot of different reasons uh for those of you asking us to send you bitcoin sorry what you want is bad coin 
And you can still get some, but not for much longer. And more on that coming soon. I have a question though about that. If we're gonna, if we're, if uh, if we're gonna do an album, I, I really want to do bad crypto. That will be that will be your solo. That's you're going to have your moment. That'll be it's going to be fantastic. I I can't wait. Well, we'll get to the CEO of Ripple, Brad Garlinghouse, in just a moment. But first, let's go ahead and hit the mailbag. Bad crypto inbox. You got mail. Austin writes us via the contact form that we were just discussifying. And he says, I've only been accumulating crypto for a few months now. But each time I buy, I get a little more concerned about the storage of my coins. I keep everything off exchanges and transfer to my Ledger Nano S right away. But if my house burns down tomorrow, knock on wood, then I'm not only homeless, but also cryptoless. I've purchased another Ledger Nano S and will probably store half of my crypto on the second one and keep it in another location just to be safe. But I feel like this issue will prevent or at least slow down mainstream adoption. Burglars may start breaking into houses looking for seed phrases and leaving behind the flat screens. What are you guys suggesting for storing and keeping your offline wallets safe from disasters? Do I need to start remembering my seed phrase like it's my social security number? Love the show. Stay bad. You know, this is a concern that I think anybody who started to accumulate any, you know, number of coins is going to, you know, begin worrying about just a little bit. And it's a great question. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things that, you know, you could tell as more people accumulate more and more crypto, I could see like two or three years down the road, there's there's going to be a paranoia about the crypto that uh, is, has never heretofore been seen ever before. So there will, you know, there'll be some really good crypto psychiatrists that will help you with your neurosis <laughs> in the future. Uh, one thing you can do is you can make multiple copies of this, right? Maybe leave some of those seed phrases with some a family member that you trust or mm-hmm. to make duplicate copies and place them in a safe deposit box in a bank or, you know, put it in a waterproof thing and bury it in the backyard by your tree or something. I mean, I don't know. You could geocache it somewhere if that makes you feel safe. But you can, you know, that's the thing about this is you can you can put those seed words and those 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 uh, private keys in multiple places, but just put them in places where you'll know they will be and keep them safe. That should be a pretty good solution for you. What say ye? I'll, I'll tell you what, all of my substantial holdings, that means the greatest part of that, which I'm intending to hodl, I couldn't even tell you my seed or how to get to them. They're all off site. They're not in my house. They're not in my computer. They are somewhere else secure. So even if somebody, you know, try dug through everything I have, they're, they're not going to find it here because I don't want it here. I don't I want it here either. It doesn't I'm, I'm planning. I'm planning on hodling for the long term. I don't need to have it here. So all of those things are elsewhere. And if you're planning on hodling for the long term, then there's no reason to have it in your house. There's no reason to have it in your mind. As long as it's somewhere secure offsite, then um, then you should be okay. But of course, you know, you got to figure out what's going to work for you. And I just keep a minimal amount of what I need for trading handy. And, and that's it. And Tyler writes us, I bought Bitcoin for my dad and brother-in-law as Christmas presents, but I bought when it was $7,100. Now I want to keep it all for myself. How do I deal with the pain of giving away that sweet, sweet Bitcoin in the name of crypto evangelism? Love the show. Stay bad. Greedy Tyler. Um, <laughs> great question, Greedy Tyler. 
uh, I would say this. Well, if you're concerned about that, well, then just give them half as much as you were going to give them before <laughs> and then hodl the rest. I mean, you're, it's your choice. Uh, and plus, this is already airing after Christmas. So I'm sure you have figured out a solution to this already. Yeah, well, I just look at it this way. If you invested at a you know low point, just tell them, hey, I bought this for you at 7100 and here you know here's where it is now you could already see that this has increased in value and so that might excite them even more you know if it was intended as a gift then uh, then give it as a gift and just be happy you were able to bless somebody else with such a wonderful gift yeah and if you would have given them the gift anyways it would have still risen after you had given it to them and so what's the difference it's the gift of crypto. No, 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 no. Can I have some of that crypto back real quick? I mean, I gave you too much. Give me back my Bitcoin, man. Bad <laughs> crypto voicemail. You have one new message. This is Jeremy Avan from Birmingham, Alabama. You're listening to the Bad Crypto Podcast. Stay bad. Mr. Travis Wright, super excited about this interview that we got to have with Brad Garlinghouse, the CEO of Ripple.com, in which we discussed a good many things, um, including how Ripple is its own company and how XRP is the token Ripple. And the two are uh, intertwined, but they're not the same thing. That is true. And we had an amazing conversation with him. And matter of fact, he is originally from my backyard here in the Midwest. And we both went to the same university. So that pretty much means we're brothers. Which uh, we'll discuss here in this interview. So settle in. I think you guys are going to like this. We really enjoyed our time with Brad. And let's go to the interview. You know, Travis, I don't know if we've had anybody from Bitcoin Central. Well, wait a second. There isn't a Bitcoin HQ, is there? Of course not. So we we can't get a Bitcoin HQ person. And uh, we haven't gotten Vitalik on yet. Uh, we have spoken with Roger Veer uh, of Bcash fame. And today we're pleased to have with us Brad Garlinghouse, who is the CEO of Ripple, which is presently, as of this recording, the number four crypto listed on coin market cap in terms of overall market capitalization at a a paltry 30 billion dollars and brad welcome to the bad crypto podcast great to be here guys thanks for inviting me we are we're glad you're here and we've got lots of questions because uh, not only are we curious but our listeners are very crypto curious i notice here from your bio you've spent time at uh, as president of consumer applications at aol and you held various positions at yahoo uh, including a senior vice president uh, position and, and many other things and i wanted you to know that we have both yahoo and aol in common uh, because i sold i created yahoo games which was sold to yahoo back in 1998 very nice yeah, and the other thing we have in common is AOL. I have a stack of AOL discs somewhere in uh, in my basement. So <laughs> what? we are connected deeply, deeply. Yeah, in, in our roots. So tell us a little bit more about your background and what brought you to Ripple. Well, uh, I've been out here in Silicon Valley for about twenty years. I've done a whole bunch of different stuff. Uh, I was fortunate to come out here in kind of the first dot com wave, and I think the earliest days of the internet and. It's not that often in my career that I've seen what I think is really another movement that I think is similar in size and similar in potential as the first wave of the internet. And it, that is what I'll generically just call the blockchain space. 
And I think what you really are seeing is a fundamental movement in a bunch of different industries that will be impacted by it. And I, I kind of make fun of some of the stuff that go, goes on out here because I joined Ripple about two and a half years ago and I had the opportunity to join a couple other things. And, you know, the, the world does not need yet another food delivery business or another dog walking company. And I think there's a lot of stuff that just is interesting. I'm not saying you can't make money doing it, but it's not that often in your career you get to work on something that could fundamentally, you know, to use a Steve Jobs comment, like, you know, put your dent in the universe. If Ripple's successful in what we're doing, it's really about enabling an internet of value enabling value to move the way information moves today. Like it's a big deal. It fundamentally changes the way commerce works. And yeah, you know, I'm proud of the fact the progress we're making. We got a long way to go, but you know, so far so good. And and I, I want to throw this out there real quick as well, Brad, because you and I have some things in common because we both went to the university of Kansas. So, rock chalk Jayhawk. And uh, you know, we're all the, you know, if you, if you go to school at the university of Kansas, you become a big basketball fan. So let me ask you this. What just it's completely non, you know, crypto related. What is your favorite Jayhawk moment? Oh, oh, for sure. Mario Chalmers, 2008, we're down. He's getting, you know, inbounds at Sean Collins. I think dished it to Mario Chalmers. Oh, nailed that three to tie it versus I just, got, I, I just got chills right there. I, I love that moment. Hey, that's- hey, you two get a room, okay? <laughs> no, that's that's great. So, so Ripple, you know, you guys are, you know, we, we've had a lot of conversations with a lot of folks with different types of blockchains, and one of the things that always pops up around Ripple, and which, and quite frankly, it's one of the reasons why I think I've personally stayed away from investing in it, is more of the centralized nature of it, right? There's a there's billions of them, right, in circulation, and so I was always looking at it going, oh man, it's at like fourteen cents. That's probably the highest it's going to go, I guess, right, you guys? And then all of a sudden it takes off again. So, you know, what was the thought process behind the decentralized nature of Ripple? Uh, because it seems like banks are really liking that that approach versus the decentralized approach, like a Bitcoin or a Litecoin is. And if you could maybe talk about that and, and the difference and, and why you guys chose that. Look, there's a lot of misconceptions about what Ripple is. There's a lot of misconceptions about what XRP is. And, you know, I'll start by saying those are two separate different things. You know, XRP is a open source, open blockchain. It is decentralized. Ripple, the company, owns just over 60% of all XRP. Ripple, the centralized company, is investing resources and time and energy into the success of a decentralized platform token called the XRP Ledger. Now, so Ripple is building really a payments company on top of the XRP Ledger. And we go out and we talk to banks, we talk to payment providers, and we've been really fortunate to get over 100 banks now, 100 financial institutions one way or another, engaged using our technologies. And the more we do to get banks using our technologies, the more opportunity we have to have them using XRP as a liquidity tool and how they manage their global liquidity footprint. I can go way into detail on that. But I think there's a lot of things misunderstood about Ripple because in the earliest days, people, you know, Ripple took kind of a contrarian view. The Bitcoin community was anti-bank, anti-government, anti-fiat currency. And Ripple, even in the earliest days, was kind of like, well, we don't think the banks are going away because we don't think the government's going to go away. And we think there's a role for fiat and we're, we think there's a role for digital assets, but we also think fiat goes away. I was actually, you know, we were talking a little bit, obviously, before we jumped on the, the, the this part. And, you know, look, I, I think one of the problems that we, the blockchain community face, the crypto community faces is we continue to have actors in the system who are just repeatedly pretending that things like government institutions and regulations should go away. And sure, are we too regulated in certain ways? Maybe. 
But things like the SEC are there for a reason. It's to protect investors, to protect companies. And you can't just take, you know, you know, decades and decades and decades of learnings and throw the baby out with the bathwater. Well, you know, along, as long as we're talking about that, we mentioned just before the show that Roger Veer just tweeted something that we, when we all saw it, it was like, wow. And he quoted Milton Friedman, who said, you should want more insider trading, not less. And he at, uh, tweeted Bob Murphy Econ, who said there shouldn't even be an SEC. Maybe it, the context being of what just happened recently with Bitcoin Cash suddenly being sprung onto Coinbase. Uh, what what are your comments on that? Look, I, Roger, I think has had obviously a huge contribution at a macro level, but I think examples like this are actually destructive to the progress we're trying to make. And I say that when I say we, I'm not talking about Ripple. I'm talking about we, the blockchain community, we, the crypto community, governments aren't going to go away. Regulation is going to go away. They're there for a reason. And it, I, yes, sure. Are there examples where I think you know, regulations have gone too far? Of course. But I, I just think it's, it's really irresponsible and actually can serve to take us backwards in the progress we're trying to make into having digital assets be truly an institutional asset to re- truly solve you know, enterprise problems at scale. And by saying things like the SEC should, you know, we want more insider trading. Really? Yeah. Well, speaking of going backwards, let's, hey, Travis, let's, let's set a foundation here just in case people don't know what Ripple is. Um, could you kind of just explain what, what X, you know, especially the, the people listening are interested in XRP, right? Because that's what they're either buying or selling or ignoring. Um, what does it do and why does it have value? Well, so I'll start by saying, look, I think any digital asset is going to, over the long term, the value of that digital asset is going to be about the utility that it drives. If it's not solving a real problem, it doesn't serve a purpose, it doesn't somehow improve efficiencies, then I question, like, what is the long-term value of that digital asset? XRP is an asset, a digital asset that Ripple is using to improve efficiency, reduce cost. Uh, reduce friction, you know, a, a very efficient way of moving value. One of the reasons why I think XRP has done very well recently is I think people increasingly are understanding that it, while Bitcoin has other use cases and Ethereum has other use cases, when you talk about payments, you know, the, the, the latest, the BTC transaction cost is around $28 right now. And XRP transactions is a fraction of a penny, and that's at scale. So, you know, I, I think that, well, Bitcoin, I actually, I'm personally long Bitcoin, so this isn't at all an anti-Bitcoin. It's a, if you want to solve a payments problem, Bitcoin is not in a position to solve a payments problem, particularly when you start talking about micropayments. You talk about other use cases that we haven't even really broached uh, yet. So XRP is an extremely efficient digital asset. Uh, the throughput we have today is around 1,500 transactions per second. The time to confirm a transaction is about three to four seconds. And the cost, as I said, is a fraction of a penny. And I think as people have realized how efficient XRP is in solving that payments problem, it really has gotten people excited about, hey, Ripple as the company is generating a lot of momentum, a lot of traction and getting more and more customers, banks, payment providers using our technologies, which in turn allows them to take advantage of a product we have called XRapid. XRapid is using XRP to fund real-time liquidity, which I can dive into if you want. Yeah, I have a question about this, uh, Brad, because like I, I've transferred with, uh, you know, I've traded with a lot of cryptos and I noticed that Ripple 
Stellar Lumens and BitShares, they seem to be smoking fast with those transactions. Like you, you send that. I mean, Litecoin to some extent. I mean, at least the, the when you send Litecoin, that, that's what I pay my my kids in in uh, their crypto allowances is in is in Litecoin. Just just because they love to send. Well, my daughter particularly, my son, he likes all different types. But my my daughter, she loves the fact that boom, I send it to her, and then uh, it's that- in her it's in her box. Even though it's, it's not fully processed, she sees it. She's like, all right, I'm good. I got paid. Uh, I'm done. I'm uh, I'm I'm gonna go read a book now or something but next week yeah i'll see i'll see you next week as i'm sending out all our bad coin uh but what's what's interesting about this is that you know the the payments are so quick and then with as you just mentioned with with blockchain uh, some of the various different blockchains like bitcoin uh even bcash isn't that fast i mean the transaction speeds aren't that quick they still take a while for them to reach consensus before that gets gets traded so why is why is ripple so fast whenever you come with these global payments? Well, it, it fundamentally comes down to a different architecture or how a blockchain can work. And as you guys know well, you know, the, the, the blockchains we're talking about today are almost all driven by proof of work as how we confirm a transaction. Uh, Ripple uses something, the XRP, excuse me, the XRP ledger uses something called consensus. We were actually the original kind of inventors of that, uh, the earliest guys, some of the earliest guys that worked on the XRP ledger were Bitcoin engineers who were working on you know Bitcoin in the earliest days and realized, look, the direction that Bitcoin is going is going to have real scalability issues. I think it probably took a little bit longer for some of those scalability issues to you know raise the fore, but I think it's why they developed the XRP ledger in the way they saw it because it was going back to the, the vision. How do you enable an internet of value? You know, we we can do fifteen hundred transactions per second right now, but when we think about success, and by the way, Bitcoin I think right now is around. 15 transactions per second. So we're kind of two orders of magnitude better. But 1,500 transactions per second for us isn't enough. Like we think about an internet of value where there's micro transactions being enabled between connected devices. We're an internet of things, these connected devices, some of them are going to be economic actors. And then it's not talking about moving, you know, your, your daughter's allowance. I hope you pay her at least 10 or 15 bucks a week. But, you know, it's about moving 15 cents or 1.5 cents. And you know, now you're talking about you have to have a technology that is wicked efficient and scalable in a way that you know, really we don't have any capability uh, as a society to do that today. And some of it gets into kind of science fiction and kind of examples. But you know, I, I think in a world in the world we live in, ten years from now, you are going to have examples where you know micro transactions are part of the system. So. Ripple's had an interesting ride these past couple of weeks. You know, it had been sitting around a quarter per token and it shot up. Actually, right now I'm seeing an all-time high of 81 cents. Uh, it, it seems to really be riding the wave. The circulation on them is uh, approaching 39 billion, but the total supply is close to is closer to 100 billion and so people wonder what ha- what is with the 55 billion that are in lockup in escrow well so it's a great question again i think kind of there, there's some fake stigma out there and some misunderstandings misconceptions about what's going on the, the first thing is, fake stigma fake stigma <laughs> so the, the first thing i'd say is ripple the company is more interested in the success of xrp than anyone else because we own a lot of it but one of the things we kept hearing in kind of that fake stigma was oh well, what happens if Ripple dumps our XRP on the market. Well, now the first thing I'd say is, why would we ever do that? that? That's not rational, but okay, fair enough. There's concern out there. How do we, we take that away as a concern? And so what we concluded is, 
we can use as a proof point of our own technology, a feature on the XRP ledger, it's an escrow feature that allowed us to lock up 55 billion XRP and every month, 1 billion locks up, unlocks for 55 months. Now, we're not gonna use a billion XRP every month. At the end of that month, we will then lock up what we don't use into a 56th month and 57th month and so on. We use XRP for a whole bunch of things. One is, as a centralized company, we you know pay our engineers, we invest in, you know we pay, we incentivize market makers. We do things for the health of the XRP ecosystem. So by locking it up in the escrow, we kind of you know, took the, the, the wind out of the sails of those who are kind of spreading FUD that, hey, well, wait a minute, this could happen. We're like, well, no, no, no. Well, first of all, we would never do that. But because you're concerned about it, let's just lock up that supply. So there's a known supply schedule so that, that you know people will uh, understand that. And, you know, it, it's... It's there in a way we can't take it out. Is, is that is that supply schedule public somewhere? Because that would answer a lot of people's questions if there was, you know, even a diagram showing how this works. I mean, we've done a, a posts on Ripple Insights. It's a, a blog that Ripple does, and it talks about the escrow and what the supply schedule looks like for the next fifty-five months. We've talked about, you know, how much how much XRP we have historically used in a month, and so you know, there's lots of data out there. We, we try to be very transparent. The, the, the second thing I'll actually share uh, is uh, proactively, there's something we release once a quarter called the XRP Markets Report. And the XRP Markets Report shares very transparently everything that we think is going on in the XRP ecosystem. It talks about what XRP the company used for different purposes and kind of just a view from us on the whole ecosystem. Now, that's important to, you know, to keep people, you know, up to date on what's going on. I think this is interesting stuff here. So I, I want to know about this now. So the coin, XRP, now is that intended for, you know, day-to-day -day use by individuals to hold and trade? And, and like some stores are like they're able to take payments in, in Bitcoin and some Litecoin, et cetera, et cetera. Now, is that something that you see that Ripple is going to be utilized for? Or was it designed solely as a system to facilitate, you know, long-distance fiat transfers for banks? It's a great question. You know, first of all, I'll make the, the somewhat humorous joke because I know you guys, uh, I think you're We're both very serious fun. here, Brad. This is serious. Yeah. Very serious. Very serious. <laughs> the first thing I'll point out, you know, and I'm, I'm not the first person to point this out, but, you know, if you're using Bitcoin to pay for a cup of coffee, by the time the Bitcoin transaction is confirmed, the co coffee is going to be cold. So when I think about, you know, the, the efficiency of XRP, of course, I think about use cases that go beyond the institutional stuff that Ripple, the company, is doing. Now, there are other people building on top of the XRP ledger today. We want to see more people build on top of the XRP ledger. You know, we have announced, you know, there's obviously people building funds to invest in the XRP ecosystem. You know, a guy named Mike Arrington, founder of TechCrunch, has launched a $100 million XRP fund. We've got a couple other things we're working on in that context. But look, I think there absolutely will be people doing things uh, using XRP for purposes that aren't just institutional payment flows that Ripple is focused on. But Ripple is very much wants to make sure we're solving that macro. If we're enabling the internet of value, we've got to get the repositories of value connected to that so they can do real-time, very efficient, very low-cost transactions. And the banks have to be connected. We can't pretend the banks are just going to go away. You know, I hear XRP, and I, I being a radio guy, I go to WXRP. You know, there's a New York radio station. It's like, you guys should just buy the radio station, have crypto radio, and feature the Bad Crypto Podcast. And hire you guys. Absolutely. <laughs> right? I mean, because that's, that's, that's what we do. So um, year, we interviewed somebody um, towards the beginning of the Bad Crypto Podcast, one of our earliest episodes. We had a name you'll be familiar with, Jed McCaleb 
who yep. was the original founder of Ripple.com, was with the company from 2011, 2013, and now founded Stellar Lumens, which you referenced. Stellar just announced a really big deal with IBM. And people want to know, when are we going to get the household name announcement from Ripple? Well, I mean, look, I think Ripple's announced a whole bunch of household names. I think one of the more recent ones was American Express. Uh, but you know, Heard of them. Heard of them. Yeah, you heard of American Express. I mean, look, I think there's a lot of science experiments going on out there in not just, you know, the, the blockchain space, let's be honest, there's a lot of hype, right? For me, it's all about how do we solve real problems for real customers at scale? And so uh, I'm a lot, you know, I've, I've been fond of saying science experiments are not a business model. Instead, we think about how do we use real problems for banks? Uh, you know, we got a whole bunch of household names, Satander, Standard Chartered, or, you know, a couple of the big banks, the, the largest bank in Japan, MUFG, is, uh, Bank of Tokyo Mitsubishi is the, the brand name behind that, but they're a customer. So, look, we have over 100 banks we work with today. We have payment providers that we've announced, like Qualix, not too long ago. Uh, so I think there's a whole bunch of household names, but, uh, you know, we, we want to continue to grow. The other thing I'll just mention very briefly is Ripple's working with the Gates Foundation, uh, a pretty household name in, in some ways. And where they're actually adopting Ripple's open source technology, some technology that was developed here called ILP, Interledger Protocol. And Interledger Protocol is kind of at the foundational level of you know, the, the, the technology we sell to banks today. We're working with them to take that type of technology to unbanked communities across the world. Hey, Travis, I think Brad just basically said we're all in a Petri dish, right? It's one big science experiment. We're like these little crypto organisms battling for you know our piece of the the magical internet money that's great you'll be a you're a joel meba <laughs> uh, i just came up with that that was horrible uh i want to you know you, i'm gonna send you five dogecoin for that one that was good <laughs> now i'd rather have some ripple oh hey, xrp I, there we go i i have a question about this so with the value of xrp now does that how does that impact the the ripple protocol or or does it because as the price is now you know sort of mooning a little bit it's up you know 75 cents or more does that higher price reflect higher adoption or utilization and 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 as far as these banks that you're working with are they more attracted to that high value XRP or low and as ripple increases in value are those transaction costs going to increase like they did with bitcoin no, I mean, we've already been able to scale. I mean, so backing up and, you know, at the end of the day, we are about solving a problem around payments for banks. Hmm. The price of XRP, you know, the company Ripple wants to see more and more demand and usage and velocity of XRP. We want the XRP ecosystem to be incredibly healthy. And so I think the what you're seeing, the, the interest in XRP and the appreciation of XRP is increasingly an understanding of a couple of things. Ripple has real customers. We are solving a real problem, and that problem is measured in the trillions of dollars. Our technology, the XRP ledger, is the most efficient of any of the blockchains out there in terms of solving this payments problem. And that's measured by transaction throughput, 1,500 transactions per second. It's measured by cost. We're talking about a fraction of a penny to confirm a transaction. And it's measured by the speed of the transaction, such that we're able to do this in three seconds, three to four seconds. So I think that the appreciation in the price of XRP is a reflection that Ripple's making real progress in solving a problem for real customers at scale. And it's a big multi-trillion dollar problem. We're talking about $27 trillion of capital is tied up in banks and payment providers and corporates around the world that are pre-funded accounts. We can use XRP to provide real-time liquidity. And this fundamentally changes how the global kind of engine of commerce works. If we can you know, spray a bunch of WD-40 in there, and it's actually good for the entire global commerce to, to accelerate the speed through which we can we can actually make this work. 
and not by trying to circumvent the banks, not by trying to circumvent regulators, by working with them and making it more efficient for the entire globe. Nobody's got a crystal ball, but you know, you get to have conversations and you get to talk with banks and you get the sense of how they feel about crypto in general. When do you see a complete flipping happen from you know crypto taking over fiat? When when does our society and the world go, this is what we do now? Well, I, I've got two answers to that. The first is, I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, I had just joined Ripple about two and a half, almost three years ago now. And a the CEO of a very large bank uh, in Australia was visiting our office. And he said to me, you know, the smartest thing Ripple has done is not put the word bit or coin in the name of the company. <laughs> and the point being that there has historically been a perception problem. Maybe it'll you know persist. But in a world where Bitcoin is associated with Silk Road and Alpha Bay, you know, banks, that's a, that's not fake stigma. That's real concern. And, you know, fair or not, that's the reality. What has changed dramatically in the last even six months is the conversations we have with banks that historically are just like, look, we'll use Ripple's technology for the fiat to fiat settlement, but we're not sure about crypto. What's starting to change very tangibly is if they can use a digital asset like XRP to solve a problem, make a product faster or less expensive, like these banks are capitalists. They understand they want to offer better products at lower cost. That's good. And so the, the flipping that's happening is, I think, 2018, increasingly, see more and more people you know, realizing that, look, there are tokens focused on solving illicit problems, and that's gray or black market stuff. Great. What Ripple's trying to solve is not that, and we're trying to work with regulators. So now, the, the second part of the answer is, you know, I don't think we're close to the flipping you described of going, you know, from fiat to digital assets. I think there's a role for digital assets to play, but you know, frankly, walking to the University of Kansas and buying a ticket in dollars or buying a beer at, you know, one of the lake local watering holes with U.S. dollars works pretty well. I don't think we're going to be any flipping anytime soon, but there is a role for digital assets to play in reducing friction and accelerating speed. And you know, for Ripple, that's focused on cross-border payments. Spoken like a true CEO. Yeah, that's great. I, I want to ask about, about banks, right? So there's a lot of different banks in the world. So let's say, for example, you know, Wells Fargo. Do you foresee them like creating the Wells Fargo coin versus the Bank of America coin versus the Citibank coin versus the, the different banks in Europe and then them trading in their own cryptos over time, utilizing uh, the Ripple protocol? Or do you, do you foresee XRP being that mode of transportation or, or transactions? It's another really good question. And for those that are really interested, I actually did a post on LinkedIn talking about my view of kind of bank coin ideas because there's been a lot of talk out there. I get a lot of problems with bank coin as a, a premise. Uh, the one I'll just spend time on for, for today, given the, the limited amount of time, is just if will Wells Fargo's coin be adopted by JP Morgan? Will JP Morgan adopt the B of A coin? Will the B of A coin be adopted by the HSBC? Like it kind of like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. You know, that, that's not solving a real problem. And like, you're not going to get banks to all adopt a competitor's coin. And so now we have a whole, a whole bunch more coins and we still need that interoperability, right? And in Ripple and XRP is about that interoperability. So mm. I don't, I mean, I, maybe some banks will do coins and I'm not sure exactly how that'll play out, but I, I think uh, if you want to read more about my opinion there, they go to LinkedIn. And, would, you say uh, the they, same, would you say the same premise with countries? creating their own like USD coin or the yuan coin or Japan's doing their own Japan coin. Like what, what, what about yeah. that? 
in the Petro yeah. in Venezuela. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try to do a quick prop here in real time. So, uh, you know, this U.S. dollar here, it has a little token number on there, right? It has a serial number. Mm. Dollars are kind of tokenized already, aren't they? <laughs> now, should we have a digital database of all of the tokenized dollars? Okay, mm. sure. But I still need to get from dollars to yen. What, what, what Ripple's trying to solve is that, that interoperability, that cross-border piece. So real-time efficient settlement between dollars and yen, where today you're relying upon things like SWIFT and it's slow, it's expensive, the error rates are really high. We, we can bring the nature of how this works into the internet age and now enable real-time transfers. And speaking of yen, there's news, or at least rumor out there that Ripple is being used between Korean and Japanese banks. Is that just rumor or truth or what? Well, I mean, I mentioned that Ripple's working with over 100 banks around the world. We've announced uh, you know, just recently some stuff going on in Japan, for sure. Uh, but look, we have 200 people here at Ripple who are focused on how do we grow usage of Ripple's technologies and, by extension, grow usage of XRP as a, a token and tool that can actually solve problems for banks. And it's a big problem. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know which specific customers you're thinking of, but, you know, we're fortunate to make a bucket, a bunch of okay. products. Quick, quick three-parter. I think the first two are going to go really quickly. It's not even a question. It's just a statement. And the question is inherent. The word is Coinbase. <laughs> Look, I, it is a high priority for the company to have liquidity at exchanges around the world. XRP is listed at over 50 exchanges around the world. Uh, we want to see it listed at more exchanges. That is a priority for us. Uh, but, you know, look, I, I'm not going to, you know, comment on you know, the, the rumors that are out there. Suffice it to say, I, I think it's a high priority for us to have XRP listed. You, you would like it. Okay, this one will be uh, from one of our um, Facebook members. They want to know if you've tried or like cheddar bacon mac and cheese Lay's, the new potato chips. You know, the honest to God truth is I'm not a big fan of potato chips in general. So I have not people want to know. Um, the real question is, is the is it a goal of the company to replace Swift as a payment mechanism? You know, uh, the short answer is I think Swift has kind of been stuck in a model and a framework that was developed decades ago in terms of how this works. And it's I mean, I make this joke, but it's actually serious. It's kind of funny. But if I wanted to get money to London today. Or, you know, let's pick a more, you know, I'm going to go to Brazil. I need to get $10,000 to Brazil. The fastest way for me to do that is to drive down the road, Highway 101 to San Francisco's International Airport, buy a ticket to Rio and fly it there. You know, I can stream video from the space station and I can't move my own money from point A to point B efficiently. Like, it's just kind of crazy, right? So, look, I, I think, you know, Swift has served a purpose. I think there are much more efficient ways for this to work. And, you know, I'm really pleased by the momentum and the engagement we're getting from banks around the world and payment providers around the world. You know, that, that's so true because, I mean, here we are, we're, we're dealing with the financial system and Swift and some of this other stuff, this banking, you know, that was invented, you know, 40, 50 years ago. So this is the, the, a lot of this technology has not, you know, been innovated upon uh, throughout these last few decades because, you know what, you get these really wealthy, successful bankers, and they like to do business the way they like to do business. Disruption's not one thing they typically like a whole lot of, right? 
so that that was just a statement. I I have a question about the these these exchanges because this is this is not even necessarily just a Ripple or an XRP question because I was curious about this because there's some really cool tokens that are popping up that are doing stuff in the blockchain and then it's very slow for them to get on those exchanges and then I realized oh wow in some cases it cost a hundred. $200,000 to get listed on some of these exchanges. What, what are your experience? What is your experience on, on, on getting onto these exchanges? And what are some of the costs that, that some of these coins are, are having to incur by getting on some of those exchanges? You know, it is another really good point because, you know, for, I, I think it's a, a painful journey. If I were, you know, somebody launching a token right now, uh, and again, I'd start with, does it have a real use case? Does it have real utility? Otherwise, just don't do it because you know, we haven't talked about ICOs in this session. But like, look, the, the, I've said and tweeted that uh, the class action lawyers are salivating about these ICOs. But to, to your core point in question, like, OK, great. You launch a token. Now you need it to actually have some liquidity and you got to get it listed at some exchanges. And, you know, does the world need 1300 different tokens? I don't know. Uh, you know, we're I, just getting I, I think- started. We're just getting started, Brad. Yeah. <laughs> so, some have projected that 10 years down the road, there'll be a million tokens because there'll be just utility around all the different things. But, but here's the thing about that. Isn't that just taking us back a, a thousand years to world is all barter? Everything has a token. And so there's a clearing price between every different event. Like that's the reason why currencies were developed. Well, it's going to be good for you as long as you have the interoperability and being able to exchange them. So that's a, uh, that's, that's, that sounds like a good long uh, potential opportunity for, for Ripple there. That's great. Well, yeah. and the Fed certainly likes the, the power and the control, right, over the currency. So the question is, do you see the Fed eventually adopting blockchain, coming out with Fed coin, and go on a limb? Do you see them making certain crypto mm, illegal to hold here in the United States anyway? Well, I don't, I don't really see that happening. I think, again, if, if it is a legitimate token with a real use case, a real purpose, I think the, the U.S. government so far has indicated that in a, a positive way, like, yeah, it's solving a real problem. Those that are pretending to be a token that are actually security, I think they've also been clear that, no, 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 that's not so good. You know, Ripple hosted an event this past uh, October, I guess, up in Canada uh, as part of a big banking conference, Cybos, and Ben Bernanke was our keynote speaker. And, you know, first of all, I was super impressed the amount of knowledge he had about blockchain. But he made the point you're making that governments are going to control their money supply because their economy, their ability to manage the economy kind of requires that. And so it goes back to your, do I think there's a flippening that's going to happen where all of a sudden the dollar as the money supply of the U.S. is going to change to be a token that, I, like, I, I don't know, I, I'm not that old and I don't think it's going to happen in my lifetime. Well, but, but with with the value of the dollar, you know, uh, falling, it's like the the real Ponzi scheme. Some would say is fiat money. Look, it, it is obviously well documented that you know from inflation, the value of the dollar has been you know inflated. You know, depending on which time period you look, an just awful print lot. some more. Let's just print them. Come on, this is like just shooting out money. Right. So you know, is there a macro kind of fundamental economic dynamic here? Yes, uh, you know, but I still think governments want to control their money supply and governments will fight very, 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 very hard to protect that. And I'll go back to what we talked about at the very beginning. I think those that are trying to work outside of the system, they're trying to work against the revolution is going to happen from within. The revolution is not going to happen from the outside. I have said, you know, 
we may end up finding, again, I'll say again, I'm long Bitcoin. Napster was pretty cool. Napster demonstrated digitizing music has some very cool value. You can put it in your pocket and take it with you. It's portable, all those kind of things. But guess what? Napster flaunted laws. Napster pretended that all kinds of you know, royalties, all kind of stuff like, and guess what? Napster's dead. Well, maybe now I don't even know what status Napster is, but hey, Spotify, pretty cool. I yeah, can, but they're not making any money. <laughs> uh, some of these guys are making money. I mean, the, the, the music industry is making money again for the, you know, it's been, it was contracting for a long time. And, you know, I, I think in some ways, you know, Bitcoin originally was going to be the panacea for all transactions. It was going to replace the dollar and the yen and all these different things. I think Bitcoin does solve a problem, and it's called digital gold. It's a store of value. And by the way, that's a multi-trillion dollar thing. And if Bitcoin today is $300 billion, I, I don't see any reason why Bitcoin couldn't be 20x this price in the next five years. You know, I was on a panel, an MIT panel a couple weeks ago, and my prediction was that Bitcoin will be at 50, or 50, 50,000 by the end of 2018. So I think Bitcoin, I'm long Bitcoin. However, I think you have to step back and say, what problem is it solving? What's the utility? I think Bitcoin's kind of a store of value. XRP is solving a multi-trillion dollar problem around payments, around liquidity. So uh, I don't even remember what question you asked and how I got there but, now. So, but I, I got to follow up on that. So what's Bcash? Where does Bcash play a role in this? Well, I think Bitcash is tr Bitcoin Cash is, I think, trying to be a more efficient Bitcoin. No, Brad, it's Bcash, okay? It's Sorry. Bcash. <laughs> well, one thing I will say about this real quickly, I think we have to be mindful of, is Ripple is selling technology to enterprises and banks, and they're building interconnects with that. If you're if you're doing that on something that forks every two or three months, you, like enterprises will not do that. And you know, again, I, I don't think it's good for the system. And you know, obviously, we're in the earliest days. I said at the beginning, you know, I was fortunate to move out here in 1997 and be part of the earliest internet days. And I think we're seeing some of those same dynamics here today. But I, I, the revolution is going to happen from within the system, not the ex outside of the system. I can't wait till we get Bitcoin cardboard. That's going to be like the fork that I want. No, I'm going to invest heavily in XRP cash whenever that comes <laughs> I think that sounds great. <laughs> uh, Brad, is there any other things that you would like the, uh, the citizens of uh, Bad Cryptopia to know? Anything that we did not cover around Ripple that you would like to share with our wonderful audience? Uh, no, guys, I really appreciate it. I, I'd like to share with the audience that it's always good to do a, a, an event with two fellow Midwesterners, Rock Chalk Jayhawk. Rock Chalk. Thanks again, Brad. Really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, guys. Travis, I really love doing these interviews with the movers and the shakers of the industry. And now we've got many of them reaching out to us that they would love to come and be on the show. And so, you know, the format is is fluctuating because we've got these shows that we have interviews with the leaders for, um, you know, for features. And we've got these bad crypto quickies that we, you know, pop out quickly when there's something happening in the space. We've got the ICO spotlights. We've got the teaching show. And uh, I love the variety, and I hope you, our listeners, do as well. Yes, it's uh, never a dull moment at the Bad Crypto Podcast. You don't know if you're going to get a, a quickie, if you're going to get a random song. You don't know who we're going to be interviewing the next show. I mean, we're keeping you on your toes. And you know what? The fans seem to really appreciate this because they keep coming back. And guess what? The numbers keep growing every single week. I mean, it's uh, we've taken off like a rocket, like we were Bitcoin or something, or like we were Ripple in, in the end of December. <laughs> I figure everybody's just collective gluttons for punishment. And uh, we're glad that 
that you're here. Thanks for listening. Please do follow, share, subscribe, and review. Not necessarily in that order. Your results may vary. And do your own due diligence. Thanks again for listening, everybody. Mr. Travis Wright, would you please provide instructions to the citizens of the Republic of Bad Cryptopia? We're all going to go down to the bar now, and we're going to go drink some Ripple so that way you can stay bad. The Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto, LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of Bitcoin's and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor.